Welcome to the Vocational Education Podcast. Here's your host, Dr. Dan. Well, welcome to the Vocational Education Podcast. Today, I'm joined by RTO Consultant to the Stars. I'll just say that, uh, Marcek Fibrich. Marcek, how are you? Absolutely brilliant. Thank you. Marcek, you've been involved in so many audits over the last number of years. What on earth is going on with ASQA? I think that's the million dollar question at the moment. Um, It's probably safe to say that no one really knows outside of ASQA what's going on internally. And uh, deep down, I think that's the way that they like it, even though they are uh, showing that they are progressively moving to more education as opposed to, you know, that, that big stick approach. The changes that we've seen in ASQA over the years hasn't reflected the changes to legislation or the standards or any of the user guides, but yet we are seeing significant changes in interpretation, uh, approaches to audits and so forth. Why that is, um, I think most people will generally understand that there is a lot of uh, good providers out there and a very small proportion of bad providers that are trying to do the wrong thing. and. Uh, are trying to get away with it. ASQA effectively take on a large-scale approach to try and tackle a small problem, I guess, across the whole uh, vet community. As an RTO, should we be uh, worried or should we be quietly confident with the direction that they're taking? It really depends on your approach to running your business. Um, from a perspective of should we be worried, I always say, no, you shouldn't be worried about ASQA. Uh, ASQA shouldn't be your main concern. Running an effective business should be your primary concern. Um, And culturally, the concept of compliance should be instilled in your whole organisation. And that's something that I speak often about, where people have a compliance manager or a compliance consultant that comes in and think that that's going to solve the problem of passing an ASCA audit. And that's probably the furthest from the truth. Um, if you are running a business that is both um, structured well, is systemized, uh, st- your staff understand their processes around the concept of compliance, then you're going to have a far more effective business than one that simply focuses on passing an ASCA audit. Having been involved in, uh, I think, over 200 audits. Is there any common problem that continually comes up uh, among, say, the the small to medium RTOs? Absolutely. Uh, And it depends on, I guess, who you focus on within the organisation. The most common area that I find within senior management, CEOs and directors, is a true lack of understanding of the standards and how to interpret those standards for their own business. So you'll often ask uh, at an audit, you know, show me this or show me that, uh, could be a piece of evidence, could be a policy. The owner or the CEO doesn't actually quite understand how that applies to the standards or to their own, to their own business. So I think from a, a senior management CEO perspective, the most common thing is a lack of understanding of those uh, processes, especially early on, and that's understandable. They're, they're on their journey at the beginning there. But then from a training and assessment perspective, Sadly, the most common error still is assessment tools. I find that truly breathtaking that that even today, so much focus is spent on training and assessment and teaching people how to develop assessment tools and so forth, yet we still have so many problems. 
And I do not understand why that is the case when developing assessment tools is not a difficult process. But unfortunately, it's an art that isn't taught properly across the sector. And I call it an art because I think once you understand the concept, it's actually quite easy to, to, to do. And if we taught the training and assessment qualification properly, I think there would be a lot less problems with training and assessment as a whole. As you're saying that, I was thinking to myself, you know, we, we have taught hundreds and hundreds of people that one unit of competency in the last few months. And the, the complaint is, oh, why do we have to do this three times? I said, well, you should do it more than three times. Three times is the minimum. This is the standard that we need to uh, uh, use to judge whether you can do it at all. But you should go straight back to your workplace. And if there's an opportunity to develop another assessment tool, do another one. Look, um even recently, I sat down with one of my clients and, and unpacked the concept of developing an assessment tool. And I said, look, I've got about 40 minutes left of my battery life, and I'm going to do it real life to show you how easy it is to go from a, a, a unit of competency that you've downloaded from training.gov.au to a fundamental structure and, and, and almost a, a good quality assessment tool there and then. And he goes, no, I don't believe you. And I said, right, let's go. And, and I went through it. And within 40 minutes, I literally had the framework and, and, and the base of, of a, an assessment tool. And that blew me away, going, wow, it really is that easy. And I think that's part of the problem, is that a lot of people that are setting up RTOs or are looking at adding to scope, their first thought is, let's go buy uh, assessment tools. Now, there are a couple of providers out there that provide tools that are quite decent, but unfortunately, there are also a lot of providers that claim that they are compliant, etc., and the tools aren't there. Now, that said, they are a starting point, and every RTO's responsibility is to contextualise and, and customise those tools. But now, without causing too much controversy, I think part of the problem is, is that um, we are lazy, and we want an off-the-shelf product that we can just buy, spend a few thousand dollars on and implement. And unfortunately, in this space, it does not work. And I relate the concept of running an RTO to like running a cafe. You know, you don't just buy a loaf of bread, put it on your counter and expect it to sell. You know, running an RTO, our core product, our thing that we sell the most of is our training and our assessment. Yet we are so concerned about compliance that we often forget about the fundamental concept of let's get our training delivery really focused on the learner and let's get our assessments structured so that they are really aligned to the learner that we're trying to you know see that they are competent and what can we do to support that learner through that process as opposed to just buying an off-the-shelf product throwing it on the table and say it's ready to go. In the RTOs that you've had experience with and there's a number how many people within the RTO are actually responsible for creating and developing assessment tools on average, when I say how many people, maybe as a percentage of their staff or, or literal numbers? Uh, this is going to probably be a little bit sad of a number, but realistically, I would probably say less than one. Um, often there is no one within an RTO that's responsible for it because most trainers and assessors that are employed uh, by the RTOs will not be fundamentally responsible for developing their tools, let alone even validating them or reviewing them. And I think that's the Thing that we have to change as a cultural uh, you know concept within our RTOs is assessment tool writing developing and validation is not like riding a bike you don't just suddenly jump back on a bike and go there are fundamental concepts that if we don't keep using them especially early on once we've learned our uh, our skill and our art if we don't keep practicing that 
we will lose it. And then suddenly in a year or two, you're told, oh, look, can you fix this assessment tool? They glance over it and they go, yeah, that looks about right. And forget about the most fundamental thing. Let's pull out the unit of competency and let's see, does it actually align to that unit? And getting trainers and assessors within our RTOs to practice that and saying, right, let's go through. And, and it's that concept of, you know, do you teach, do you give a person a fish or do you teach them how to fish? It's that same thing. Do you do, you do it for the client or do you teach the staff how to do it actively and mentor them through that process so they do it regularly? And so that over a 12 month period, everything seems to then suddenly align within their RTO and they have a much more compliant RTO. One of the things I've seen regularly in the development of assessment tools uh, that goes wrong is that people may have a lacking in their ability of interpreting English. And I'm, I'm not talking about English as a second language speakers, I'm talking about <laughs> English as a first language speaker, but their uh, ability to interpret things like the uh, units of competency, the, the, the wording in them, and creating effective observations or questions or activities that actually meet them. That, and as you mentioned, it's an art. And I really think it's something that needs to be practiced over a lot of time to really develop that to a point where you can look at an assessment tool like you did in 40 minutes, create the, the bare bones of, a, of an assessment tool. And I don't know if people who are undertaking that particular part of the qualification, the assessment 502 unit, number one, are going to be responsible for it. Number two, feel like it's part of their job. And number three, have that capacity, the actual foundation skill to unpack, interpret, recreate and create something in a language that students are going to understand. Look, absolutely. And, and, and I guess that's probably the most concerning component of our industry is that if people are lacking that skill, then we fundamentally have that problem. Um, I have to pay credit to uh, John Dwyer uh, and also John Price, uh, who I guess instilled the concept of visualising competence um, in the development of assessment tools. Um, that, for me, is probably such a critical concept when unpacking a unit of competence in something that I share and I always you know reference the the what I call lords of you know of developing assessment and RPL is that you know if you can teach someone how to read a unit of competency and I read units of competency a few times before I start to understand the concept of what is required and obviously you need to have that level of I guess a, a, at least a base level of understanding of that industry but as you develop your skills you'll find that reading any unit of competence you'll start to understand what that unit's about and then that concept of visualizing competence of what does a competent person look like when they are performing the tasks that are outlined in both the performance criteria and also the performance evidence or required skills as it used to be called. Um, now, you know, that said, I think uh, doing that in the afternoons with a glass of wine is a lot easier to visualise competence. But if you're in the workplace and having to do it, I think allowing yourself to that, create, that creative moment to sort of um, stare and visualise at either a bottle or something while you're going, okay, what's this person going to do, really helps with the unpacking of that. And then starting to use the unit of competency as that point of, okay, what do we need to do? Let's look at our knowledge evidence or required knowledge and start developing questions around that and then going, okay, well, what is our performance evidence? How does that align to our performance criteria? Slotting that into a number of tasks and then expanding that into what we need to do and then actually aligning that to industry to see if it meets the, the criteria. And there's your assessment task right there and then. It's not complicated. 
I totally agree. It's not complicated. And uh, the other thing that um, people tend to focus way too much on is the surrounding verbiage on a, an assessment tool, all the instructions to a candidate's instructions to assessor. Do you find that they can get overly cumbersome or sometimes have you seen them where they are just too inadequate as well? What, what's the balance there? Look, I think the balance is, yes, I've seen them inadequate where there's none uh, and it just goes straight into the questions and, and a task, which sometimes is the performance criteria. And that you know, absolutely is inadequate. But at the same time, I've seen assessment tools that are 40, 50 pages and the first 20 pages are instructions to the candidate, uh, including the unit of competency and so forth. So look, I think the balance has to be the base information of what is required to complete the task satisfactorily, what instructions are required and how to submit it. And that's ultimately it for the student. The concept of putting in the unit of competency, yes, different auditors have different opinions and so forth, but that information is available publicly. So why not just put a hyperlink if you want to put a you know, link to the unit, put a hyperlink into training.gov.au. And likewise for assessor guidelines, um, people you know, spend pages of pages of information for assessors. Now, okay, some people have the argument that, well, at least I'll read it. Well, the problem is that we get document blindness and, and we sort of start to you know, forget about those things. So my approach is have an assessor's guide, that it's a generic one with all of the information, how to record it, uh, things about uh, rules of evidence and, and principles of, of assessment. Um, but then the assessor's guide or the marking guide is just what it is. It's the, 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 how to ensure a reliable outcome based on that assessment. Now you talked to me before about having some tips for RTOs, this has been a part of um, a series of talks that you've given recently. What are a couple of your favourite that you'd like to share with our audience? So some of these probably wouldn't be related to uh, the concept of training and assessment, but uh, more about the concept of running an RTO. And, and, and as I mentioned earlier, uh, or before the podcast, we, you know, I don't necessarily believe in the concept of focusing on compliance. I focus on the concept of running an effective RTO. And part of that concept of running an effective RTO includes a, a culture of compliance within the organisation that's whole organisation related, not just an individual. So some of the tips that I um, definitely focus on is focusing on the effectiveness of the things that you do, uh, making sure that your policies and your procedures actually describe what you're doing. They're not just generic off-the-shelf products uh, that don't align to your practices. So using a cycle of uh, reviewing all of your processes annually and go, do we still f do what we say in our procedure? Another one is running uh, really effective meetings and having a, a structured template or a structured agenda that means that anyone can run that meeting. And that means putting dot points under each agenda item where any person, whether it's a trainer, a receptionist, an admin or a compliance person or the CEO can effectively read those questions under those agenda items and still run an effective meeting without, you know, if someone's not there uh, and record them and then get them transcribed rather than sitting there taking minutes. There's a lot of services out there that offer transcription for a, a very small cost, even 10 cents for a minute or a dollar a minute where you can actually get things transcribed. And probably the third one is looking at your team and working out how to best utilize your team and are you using a localized team or a global team? And we have got such amazing uh, resources around the world that we're not tapping into. So that could be as basic as having a virtual assistant that uh, does the uh, tasks that you know 
uh, we all need to get done, but we don't necessarily want to do uh, ourselves and, and implementing processes around that. Um, our design services, graphic design services, we don't f put enough emphasis on, on the presentation of our documents, including our training material and our assessment tools. And I think that's a real shame. Uh, so you finding someone, uh, a freelance or something overseas that can actually you know, make your documents presentable, I think is a good thing. Um, and then also content developers. You know, we do focus on content developers in Australia, but unfortunately they are very expensive. And so uh, in my case, the RTO that I used to run, we actually found developers in Canada and America that were a fraction of the price here because they just wanted to write and they loved the topic and they wrote to, uh, for us for about 10 to 15 US dollars an hour versus 100 to 150 dollars an hour that we were being quoted in Australia. And so I think it's having that, um, removing that closed mindset around what we can source in Australia versus what we've got access to globally through outsourcing requirements. Many years ago we actually outsourced, and you mentioned Canada and the USA there, we outsourced the PDFing, I guess, of a, an e-resource that we had. It was about a 30-odd page book that we'd created for people who were going to come onto our organisation or into our organisation and write for us. And uh, we sent it to a guy in Canada who then created a beautiful looking ebook out of it and I think it costs something like $30 <laughs> to get it done. Look, the, the, the things that you can uh, find, uh, whether it's through Freelancer or Guru or e, um, I think it's Elance now, it's, um, the, you know, the, the talent that is out there, you know, mapping tools, you know, you, you develop a template, you send it overseas while you're asleep, you get, you wake up and you've got a bill for $30 but you've got 50 mapping tools complete. Um, so we had a designer in Portugal who just completely understood our brand and everything. We would send our learner guides there in Word documents with associated images, and it would come back two days later, you know, complete lined with a bill of $50. So absolutely, um, the, the market out there is huge and we're just not tapping into it uh, because I guess as business owners, the fundamental thing that we're not asking is what is our problem and how do we solve it and then thinking outside the box. One of the things I like to think about as a business owner is how are my students, how are my clients viewing us? What are they seeing in our business that attracts them to want to come back to us? And that's why I put a lot of emphasis on the design. I put a lot of emphasis on things like video as well. Even getting an Australian voiceover person using Fiverr, I think I got her for like $2, $2 a minute or something like that. It was crazy. We got you know, two minute videos done for $5 with a fantastic professional female voiceover in an Australian accent. You know, it was just brilliant. Uh, and you're 100% correct. And even proofreaders, you know, there's university students who are studying that want to earn an extra few dollars and will quote 10 to $15 an hour to proofread documents for you. So, you know, all you need to do is look at what you're, what your problem is, structure a group of people that can do it. And you can go from, you know, um, recording using a microphone, getting it transcribed using a service like rev.com, um, tweaking it yourself, sending it to a proofreader, then um, sending it to a designer, a graphic designer to, to, to make it look good, all for a fraction of the price than either doing it yourself because that's not your uh, key skill um, or, or doing it completely local. And I, you know, my sort of mantra is do what you do best and outsource the rest. And so if your thing is 
training and assessment, focus on that. And if you're still having to develop resources and, and make them look presentable, then, then look at ways to, to actually outsource that as well. Well, mate, Jake, it's been fantastic talking to you this morning. We're at the Ridges in Sydney in World Square just before the Vet Summit, and I know you're heading across town to uh, another conference shortly to speak. If our audience would like to get hold of you and make use of your services, how would they do that? Look, my, my whole uh, concept in life is to share my knowledge as much as possible. So if anyone wants to understand what we've been speaking about today or wants some more uh, information, uh, you can connect with me via the website, uh, which is just www.rtoconsultancy.com.au. You can find me on LinkedIn. It's just mfibrich uh, via LinkedIn. Um, or just uh, yeah, search me and I'll, and I'll come up somewhere on Google. I'm, only, I'm the only Machek Fibrich in the world, so not hard to find. Unlike Dan Hill, which I think there's about 30 in, in the state of Oregon in the US alone. Anyway, well, thank you so much for your time today. And uh, yeah, I wish you the best in the future. Thank you so much. Well, don't forget to subscribe to the podcast to get all the latest from the myriad of excellent speakers, thought leaders, and just interesting people in the vet sector. Until next time, this has been Dan Hill and the Vocational Education Podcast. Have a great day.